Welcome to the Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery, where every death had a life and every life had a story. My name is Jenny Johnson. Hello, and I'm Diane Hartshorn. And I said it right. I said the intro right. Yes. Yes. Last week, of course, listeners don't know this because we edit. (laughs) But last week, I said that normal intro that we say on almost every single episode completely backwards. It was so weird and didn't catch it until the editing process. And I didn't hear it. It was like, because I just... It's just like automatically I can hear your voice. Even now, after you said it, I can hear your voice say it correctly. So it's like. Yes. My husband, I was at work. He sent me a clip of it and I I was giggling for like five minutes straight after I listened to the clip and I thought, oh, but fortunately through the magic of editing, he could pull my intro from one of our other episodes. It sounded seamless last week, but yes, last week, if you listened that part was me from, I don't know what other episode. I have no idea which one he pulled it from, but that's okay. Thank we you, love Dave. it. Thank you, Dave, for making us sound good. Even when we don't catch it ourselves, we are eternally grateful. So this week, we're going to continue our fraternal organizations series. And in case um, you follow us on social media, uh, or if you visit our website often and visit our blog, Uh, I've been trying to kind of post about some of the other organizations on the blog and on our Facebook page and on our Instagram account. Uh, And so today, well, as it's Tuesday night as we're recording this. So the blog that got posted today, the blog post under the Tuesday tidbits was all about the Elks uh, Club and their organization. So we won't cover them on the podcast itself at this point because I did that I did, it's actually a more extensive write-up than I usually do for the blog, but there was a lot of information to include. So if you're interested in learning more about the Elks, check out our blog. It's called Tuesday Tidbits. It's on our website. Uh, It's also, I also put these posts on our Facebook page. They're on our Instagram page, so you can find them there. Um, And then not last week, but the week before we did a post about the Woodmen of the World. So we've got two blog posts in there, about two of the fraternal organizations that we won't be covering on the podcast because there's a lot of them and we're trying to choose Mm -hmm. like either the like next week we're really going for some lesser known ones but even this week I feel like a lot of people probably haven't heard of this week's um, unless you spend a lot of time in cemeteries and then you might have come across them so we feel like it's more important to cover the lesser known ones here on the air and blog about the more well-known organizations because people still want to know and they still have questions. So, oh yeah, definitely. Yes. So, like I said, this week we'll continue our series on fraternal organizations and we are going to begin with a story. Once upon a time, there were two friends from Syracuse, a Greek city-state in Sicily. These friends were called Damon and Pythias. Pythias had been accused of plotting against the king and he was sentenced to death. Damon, who was a prominent citizen, offered to take Pythias's place in prison so that Pythias could go home and say goodbye to his family. The king agreed to this arrangement, but warned Damon that if Pythias did not return, he would be executed in his place. Pythias was granted his freedom and went home to see his family, but he returned to prison on the day of Damon's execution. The king was surprised by Pythias's loyalty and asked him why he had come back. Pythias explained that he had left his friend as a free man, and he could not bear the thought of Damon dying in his place. 
The king was so moved by Pythias's devotion to his friendship that he pardoned both men and asked to be made part of their friendship. The story of Damon and Pythias became famous throughout ancient Greece as an example of true friendship and loyalty. So what does the story have to do with today's episode? It was the story that inspired a man named Justice Henry Rathbone to found the Knights of Pythias, a fraternal organization whose core values are friendship, charity, and benevolence. Justice H. Rathbone was born on December 13th, 1839 in Hartwick, New York. As a young man, he attended first Colgate University and then Carlisle Seminary, where he trained as a music composer and actor. After completing his education, Rathborn worked as a teacher. By 1863, he was living in Washington, D.C. and working as a government clerk in the Treasury Department. Rathburn was inspired to create the Knights of Pythias after seeing a production of the play Damon and Pythias in 1863. He was struck by the story's message of loyalty and friendship and believed that it could be used as a basis for a new fraternal organization. The U.S. was in the midst of the Civil War and many were looking for a way to help heal the wounds created by the rift between the states. Rathborn spent a year developing the organization's rituals, symbols, and bylaws before officially founding the Knights of Pythias with 13 charter members on February 19, 1864. After President Lincoln learned of the Knights of Pythias and their mission and values, he expressed his approval. This led to the Knights becoming the first fraternal organization in the United States to be chartered through an act of Congress. Within four years, the membership had grown to around 3,000 members. As with many fraternal organizations, the Knights of Pythias had a hierarchical structure, with local lodges reporting to Grand Lodges, which in turn reported to the Supreme Lodge, although for many years lodges were called castles. The founding members seem to have been especially inspired by medieval terminology, as members within took on the roles of chancellor commander, vice chancellor, prelate, master of the work, keeper of the records and seal, master of finance, master of the exchequer, master of arms, inner guard, and outer guard. Like other organizations, especially the Freemasons, rituals were developed and three levels of degrees were created for members to participate in. The three degrees were page, Esquire, and Knight. Ceremonies were performed for each degree. To become a member of the Knights of Pythias, one must first become a page. Prospective members were required to be in good health and to believe in a supreme being. They also had to agree to keep all that they hear, see, or are instructed in secret, an obligation that will not conflict with their creed or conscience. During the initiation ceremony for the page degree, the candidate is introduced to the symbolic meanings behind the organization's regalia, including the white robe, dagger, and the organization's model. For the Esquire degree, the candidate promises not to commit any of the secret work of the order to writing, but then the ritual requires him to do just that, by filling in a blank space with the order's motto. The ninth degree initiation ceremony 
involves the candidate being blindfolded and given a shield and helm while their admission is publicly debated by other lodge members who play the role of senators. The senator's job is to prevent unworthy candidates from becoming knights. As part of the ceremony, there is also an open coffin containing a skeleton and two cross swords with an open book of law placed on top. This symbolizes death and resurrection. And depending on the person who's being initiated, that open book of law is generally their holy books. It could be the Bible or the Quran or whichever book they would for their supreme being. And technically, that would be their book of law. Hmm. When a man was initiated into the Knights of Pythias, he would receive a ceremonial sword. The swords were given to Pythians by various people as a token of respect, including family members and business associates. The swords had different markings and images, such as the initials FCB, representing the Pythian motto of friendship, charity, and benevolence. Other common images included a man, woman, and child, symbolizing Damon's farewell to his family, a man in a building with people below, representing Pythias's impending execution, and a man, generally Samson, pulling down pillars, as well as various types of weapons, such as swords, axes, and hammers. Full knights of the Pythian order would inscribe their swords with the image of a knight's helmet with a lion on the crest, while many also carried images of a spring myrtle, which is the symbol of love, or a falcon, the symbol for vigilance. Swords owned by members of the uniformed rank might be inscribed with the initials UR, as well as a dove or a lily. As was the case with many fraternal organizations, in its first few years, it was open only to white men but they were also one of the earliest to remove this wording from their charters and allow all men, regardless of color, to join their fraternity. Beginning in 1870, black men in Philadelphia repeatedly pet- petitioned for admission to the Knights of Pythias, but were constantly denied. However, several light-skinned men, including Dr. Thomas W. Stringer of Mississippi, were able to pass and were admitted. Dr. Stringer, an African Methodist Episcopal minister and Reconstruction-era Mississippi State Senator, learned the organization and its rituals before leaving to establish the Colored Knights of Pythias. The Colored Pythians functioned similarly to the White Knights, but they offered membership and benefits without regard to color. In reality, however, the organization was comprised exclusively of African-Americans and Asian members. Dr. Stringer, the first Supreme Chancellor of the Colored Knights, has been referred to as the father of Masonry in the South. In 1894, the Knights of Pythias in Georgia took legal action against the Colored Pythians claiming that they were using the name and symbols of the white knights without permission in their attempt to incorporate themselves in the state. The white knights accused the colored Pythians of using their titles, insignias, emblems, and other equipment fraudulently. After a lengthy legal battle, the case reached the U.S. Supreme Court, which finally ruled in 1912 that the colored Pythians had the right to use the name and regalia of the Knights of Pythias. The white Pythians eventually dropped their racial membership requirements in the 1950s. 
Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. I'm actually surprised that the court allowed it to happen considering, you know, the era right. that it was. It, it's interesting, like I told you before, when all a lot of the ones I've been researching a lot of these organizations were whites only organizations for many, many, many years. Um, they're one of the first ones that I've come across so far that allowed people of color into their organization before the 1970s. Um, a lot of them, it was not until after the civil rights movement right. and all of that before they opened it up to everybody. They seemed to a lot of them get it a lot earlier. And it seems like the ones where there was the struggle was mostly in the Southern States. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, even there though, it feels like they were, you know, charging ahead and being like, Hey, yes, we need a brotherhood definitely. here too. So it was great. In 1888, an auxiliary organization for women was formed. At first they called themselves the sisters of Pythias, but it was soon shortened to the Pythian sisters. In the early years of the Pythian sisters, membership was limited to the wives, daughters, sisters, and mothers of Knights of Pythias members. However, as the organization grew, membership was open to all women who did not have a direct family connection to the Knights of Pythias. They lived by the principles of purity, love, equality, and fidelity. The Pythian sisters had their own separate lodge, which was governed by a Supreme Lodge, and the organization provided support to its members through sickness, death, and other times of need. Members of the Pythian sisters also engage in philanthropic and charitable activities in their local communities, such as fundraising for hospitals and orphanages. And I was trying to find more details on their history, like maybe some of their more specifics, I was struggling to find a lot of information on them. So if I know when more. the museum here has a display, and I think it's called as the story of us. And so it goes alphabetically, you know, A through Z. Mm-hmm. There are displays and there are, I can't remember if there is a Knights of Pythias costume uniform, but there is, is definitely one for the women. And this one, maybe because I was just so struck by it, I didn't pay attention if it was <laughs> one for the man. But it's like this beautiful sea green gown, very oh. Grecian, very goddess-like. I love it. And it was gorgeous. It was really, really pretty. I did find in my research a lot of photographs, because fortunately photography was a thing at this time, of ladies dressed in similar costume performing rituals and ceremonies. But as far as like actual stories to go along with some of that, I wasn't really finding a whole lot of that. So I was a little disappointed. So I'm hoping it's out there that it's been recorded somewhere. I just couldn't find it for us to use. Yeah. For this. If it was secret. This is true. This is very true. 
The Knights of Pythias supported the establishment of the State of Israel. The organization's involvement began in the early 1900s when Theodore Herzl, the founder of the Zionist movement, addressed a meeting of Knights of Pythias members in New York City. Herzl called for support for the establishment of a Jewish homeland in Palestine, and the Knights of Pythias pledged their support for the idea. In 1911, the Supreme Lodge of the Knights of Pythias officially endorsed the Zionist movement and declared its support for the establishment of a Jewish state in Palestine. The organization also sent a letter of support to the Zionist Congress in Basel, Switzerland. After the establishment of the State of Israel in 1948, the organization continued to support the new state and sent aid in the form of medical supplies and other necessities. The Knights of Pythias' support for Israel has been recognized by the Israeli government, and in 1963, the organization was awarded the Israel Freedom Medal for its contributions to the establishment and support of the state. Of Israel. Yes. And I also found in my research a really cool Jewish Knights of Pythias cemetery that's located in Quebec. Um, there were some gorgeous pictures on their website. I'll have it in the show notes. Um, of their um, but cemetery, but it is absolutely gorgeous. In 1877, the Knights of Pythias began an endowment program to help provide a form of life insurance to its members. By 1899, this program had become the had become the American Central Life Insurance Company. They also purchased land across the U.S. and in Canada to create cemeteries for members and their families. There are a variety of letters and symbols often carved into the stones marking the graves. For example, one of the most prominent are the letters FCB, which stand for the Pythian model of friendship, charity, and benevolence. Another symbol associated with the Knights of Pythias is the letters K of P, which are often found on gravestones as well. Some members may also have a sword or a shield or a knight holding said sword and shield engraved on their tombstones, which represent the order's mission to protect its members and to promote honor and chivalry. Also popular are cast iron or other metal markers, flag holders, cast in using either the letters, shield, or knight at shield. Yeah. There and I guess the Sears Roebuck catalog used to sell them in their catalog, so you could order them for your loved one's grave. And they had the different organizations, so they had the Knights of Pythias, but they also had like Masonry ones or some oh, of the other cool. organizations out there. Yes, and that was in the um, late eighteen and early nineteen hundreds. That was part of their service that they offered through their catalog. You could buy anything at Sears. I know all you needed was your Sears catalog. Since its inception, there have been many notable members of the Knights of Pythias who have made significant contributions around the globe, in part because of their strong belief in friendship, charity, and benevolence. Included among their ranks are musicians such as Louis Armstrong, Freddie Martin, and Sun Ra. Three U.S. presidents, Warren G. Harding, William McKinley, and Franklin D. Roosevelt, as well as two vice presidents, Hubert Humphrey and Nelson Rockefeller. There have also been several senators, Supreme Court justices, congressmen, governors, and many others. The Knights of Pythias built many grand castles and other historic buildings throughout the United States. 
many of which still stand today and are on the National Register of Historical Places and cared for by the National Park Service. These buildings often served as meeting places for local lodges and were commonly used for community events. One notable example is the Pythian Castle in Springfield, Missouri, which was built in 1913 and is now listed on the National Register of Historic Places. The castle features a unique mix of architectural styles, including Gothic, Moorish, and Mediterranean Revival, and is known for its ornate interior. My God, it sounds lovely. You saw pictures of the outside of it. I didn't look at pictures of the inside of it, but it does have that like medieval castle feel. And it's a little, but it, I do find it interesting. And I thought it was interesting too, as the organization was developing itself, you know, it's based on a Greek story Mm -hmm. and they do use some Greek terminology, but then they use a lot of medieval terminology and even in their buildings, they were combining, which we know the Victorians and Edwardians like to do anyway. They combined all kinds of things right, to their purposes. <laughs> so it shouldn't be surprising in this. Another notable building is the Pythian Temple in New Orleans, Louisiana, which was built in 1909 and served as the headquarters of the Knights of Pythias for many years. The building features an impressive facade with classical columns and a large dome and is now used as a mixed-use development with apartments, offices, and retail spaces. Other Knights of Pythias buildings can be found in cities throughout the U.S., including Chicago, Illinois, Indianapolis, Indiana, Portland, Oregon, and San Francisco, California. Like the temple in New Orleans, many of these buildings have been repurposed over the years. But the important thing is those buildings are still standing. They are. And some of them are so unique and gorgeous. Like they built them differently than anybody else's building their stuff. That's cool. Yeah. The Knights of Pythias still exists today and has many active lodges across the United States, Canada, and Europe. They are still guided by the three founding principles of friendship, charity, and benevolence. The Knights of Pythias support charitable, benevolent, fraternal, and social activities through its subordinate lodges, their members, and the communities each service. The primary charity supported by Supreme Lodge is the American Cancer Society. According to their website, the real common thread, this is in quotes, the real common thread throughout the Knights of Pythias involves our commitment to help people. When asked what we do, we answer quite simply, we volunteer, we help people. This common thread shows itself in everything we do. If someone approaches a Pythian and asks what we do, a Pythian simply lists the things that our order and the Pythian's home lodge does and asks them if they want to help volunteer. Since we began this episode with the story of Damon and Pythias, we thought it only fitting to end with one of the most well-known poems about them, composed by half the famous duel of Gilbert and Sullivan. In this case, we are referring to William S. Gilbert. The poem begins. Two bitter friends you wouldn't pass throughout a summer's day, then Damon and his Pythias, two merchant princes they. At school together, they contrived all sorts of boyish larks, and later on, together thrived as merry merchants clerks. 
And then when many years had flown, they rose together till they bought a business of their own and they conduct it still. They loved each other all their lives, descent they never knew, and stranger still, their very wives were rather friendly too. Perhaps you think, to serve my ends, these statements I refute, when I admit that these dear friends were parties to a suit. But twas a friendly action for good Pythias, as you see, fought merely as executor and Damon as trustee. They laughed to think as through the throng of suitors said they passed, that they, who'd lived and loved so long, should go to law at last. The junior briefs they kindly let to sucking counsel hold, these learned persons never yet had fingered suitors' gold. But though the happy suitors, who were friendly as could be, not so the junior counsel who were earning maiden fee, they too till then were friends. At school, they'd done each other's sums, and under Oxford gentle rule had been the closest chums. But now they met with scowl and grin in every public place, and often snapped their fingers in each other's learned face. It almost ended in a fight. When they, on path or stair, met face to face, they made it quite a personal affair. And when at length the case was called, it came in rather late. Spectators really were appalled to see their deadly hate. One junior rose with eyeballs tense and swollen frontal veins. To all his powers of eloquence, he gave the fullest reins. His argument was novel for a verdict he relied on blackening the junior upon the other side. Oh, said the judge in robe and fur, the matter in dispute to arbitrary prey refer. This is a friendly suit. And Pythias, in merry mood, dig Damon in the side, and Damon, tickled with a feud, with other digs replied. But Oh, those deadly counsel twain, who were such friends before, were never reconciled again. They quarreled more and more. At length it happened that they met on Alpine Heights one day, and thus they paid each one his debt. Their fury had its way. They seized each other in a trice with scorn and hatred filled, and falling from a precipice, they both of them were killed. Which is oh, not how the original story ended. <laughs> no, I, I was going to say, um, all right. It makes me wonder if Gilbert and Sullivan, and I don't know because I didn't actually look into the history of this. Um, but, you know, I'm sure they were a pair, Gilbert and Sullivan. They wrote so many plays and musicals and yes. all the things together. And they knew a lot of other pairs that were similar to them and, you know, that were writers and whatnot. I'm wondering if this was based on some of that and they just used the characters of Damon and Pythias. But um, in my research for the Knights of Pythias, this kept coming up. This poem kept coming up. So I was like, well, I have to throw it in there somewhere, even though it doesn't really relate to the story that actually inspired the founding of this particular fraternal organization. Yeah, that's, that was interesting. They had way different than is. Well, they I don't want to. OK, this is going to sound goofy. Um, it, it would almost make just a lovely musical. You know, Gilbert. <laughs> it is Gilbert and Sullivan. Exactly. So it very well could have been. 
But this was, I had a lot of fun research. I, I've had a lot of fun researching all of these organizations. Right. A lot because for the number of years now that I've been visiting cemeteries, photographing cemeteries, now answering a lot more questions about cemeteries than I used to answer before. It's nice to be able to recognize who these organizations are, why they started, what mm -hmm. they were representing, who they were helping. Um, and to know like this particular organization still going. I didn't know that until I did the research because until a few years ago, I don't think I'd ever heard of them until I started coming across their graves. Right. And then I was like, oh, it's a fraternal organization. I didn't know much about it. So to know that they had the blessing of President Abraham Lincoln is kind of cool. Very much so. about anybody else at the time. <laughs> of course, he didn't live much longer after all of this either. But um... <laughs> it's still interesting. Mm -hmm. We hope you've enjoyed learning about the Knights of Pythias. And we look forward to you joining us next week as we continue to learn about some more organizations that helped to create some of the burial rituals and traditions that continue in today's modern world. If you would like to learn more about the Knights of Pythias, please visit our website, theordinaryextraordinarycemetery.com, where you will find the resources we use to research today's episode. And if you want to see photos of various Knights of Pythias cemeteries and graves, pay us a visit on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, at Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery, and on Twitter at Ord Extra Sim. And feel free to share your own photos with us yes. that you may have. Um, several of you shared um, your Woodman of the World photos with us uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I loved seeing them from all the different cemeteries uh, here in the U.S., in Canada, in Europe. So if you have photos and you want to share them in the comment section on our posts about these, please that do. Would we be love cool. seeing that. Very cool. Yes, because, you know, Diane and I can only get to so many cemeteries and photograph so many. So we love when you share with us. And I know we ask this every week, but if you enjoyed this or any of our episodes, please leave us a five-star review and a comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or directly on our website. This really does help others who love history and cemeteries to find us each week as we discuss all the ordinary, extraordinary cemeteries. And thank you to Julia who left us a uh, review just recently. We appreciated it. Yes. Thank you so much. Until we meet again. <laughs>